one of the things that I've been discovering about myself for the last few years is something that was going on all along that I simply was not aware of or conscious of, or maybe didn't want to pay attention to. And that is that when I complete something, when I accomplish something with work or in life, when I'm building up to something, working hard on it, and it finally comes to fruition, I, of course, feel a sense of pride and relief and of fulfillment. But what I wasn't aware of or didn't choose to acknowledge was that there was this other set of emotions that was also present for me. It was a mix of grief and sadness, a sense of maybe loss of purpose and uh, some growing melancholy. I just wanted to acknowledge the, the positive emotions, the things that made sense, because I had just completed what I had hoped to complete. I had just worked hard on it and I had arrived. And yet in that, all of a sudden there was a void. Uh, this thing that I had been working towards was done. And I wasn't sure what the next purpose was and where I was going to place my sense of meaning. And it's taken some work and still continues to take some work to understand this and be okay with it. To learn to hold these mixed emotions in tension and to acknowledge all of it and to name it maybe to those closest to me. I think for a lot of us, probably not just me, this is true of many things in life, many moments and experiences that we have this mix of emotions that's really complex and sometimes a little hard to name. And I want to think about that in light of these scriptures or think about these scriptures in light of that mix of emotions that is true to us as humans. I invite you to imagine in these two stories, one where we have David lamenting the death of Jonathan and Saul and the other where we have these two healings, Jairus' daughter and the woman who has experienced bleeding for 12 years. I invite you to imagine yourself in these stories and what the characters may have been feeling. In 2 Samuel 1, we read the words that uh, that Daryl just read for us, Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, I am distressed for you. My brother Jonathan, greatly beloved, were you to me. Obviously, there's deep grief, incredible sadness that David's experiencing in the loss of one he loved so deeply. And yet, if we read into these words, we also hear the joy and the celebration of life and of love something that for many of us we have likely experienced if we've been part of a funeral, a memorial service, a so-called celebration of life, where we remember with joy and gratitude the life of someone we have loved. A mix of deep grief and sadness alongside joyful celebration of love and life. And there's an added layer that we don't get in this particular text, and that's the fact that in the death of Jonathan and Saul, David is the de facto king of Israel. And so what must he be feeling in the midst of that? Excitement? Anticipation? Fear? Anxiety? Wonder? Uncertainty? Sure, there's loss and grief in this, but it's not devoid of love and of joy. Lament is more than just sadness. In the stories that we read in Mark 5, these two healing accounts, I first want to note that, as is often true in Scripture, we get the names of the men, but not of the women. So we know the name of Jairus, but we don't know what his daughter's name is. And we don't know the name of the woman who experiences healing from bleeding. I want to imagine first Jairus. 
a father who desperately wants to see his daughter healed has the fear that he's carrying of the loss of his child. And in her healing, what must he be feeling? Joy, gratitude, hope, relief. But I wonder if there might be more than that. What else might be present for Jarius? The experience of having a child come so close to death or in this story as we read it, actually to have died and been brought back to life. Is there some fear of whether she might get sick again? Does he worry about what might happen to her? Does he feel anxiety and want to keep her close to him so he can protect her from something else happening, fearing that Jesus might not be there next time? I expect all of these are probably true and maybe many more. Yes, it's a healing and there's hope. But there's other things he's surely feeling as well. How about the daughter? Confusion, I assume. I mean, she just wakes up from sleeping as far as she can tell, and people are gathered around her, and I'm sure there is an uproarious celebration, and she has no idea what has just happened. Imagine waking up in the morning and that occurring with you. Confusion, gratitude, wonder, joy, learning that she was dead and is alive again, a lot of confusion. What else? Is there some sense of longing for where she was going as she died? I don't know. Who knows what that's like? Was there loneliness in knowing that nobody else could really understand what she had just experienced? Depending how Jarius and perhaps her mother responded, did she feel confined? Did she feel smothered? Yeah, a miracle had happened, but it wasn't simply feelings of joy, I expect, that she was feeling. What about the unnamed woman with 12 years of unstoppable bleeding, who had spent all that she had to try to solve her medical condition in a culture where this bleeding would have meant that she could not be in fellowship, in relationship, in connection. She could not gather for worship. She could not be with her family, with her loved ones. So when she experiences this healing, I imagine there is a deep sense of gratitude, of peace, of relief, setting aside of the loneliness that she has lived with for so long. But I wonder, is this woman like me? After 12 years of pursuing something, of investing all of her energy and hope and resources into that one thing, what is it like after 12 years when everything changes like that? Does she too feel lonely, a different kind of loneliness? Because nobody knows that experience of being an outcast and an outsider and coming back into community. Is she afraid to re-enter religious society, to re-enter family, to come back to worship? Is she uncertain of her place in the world? Yeah, a miracle has occurred and she, I'm sure, is full of joy. But what are these other feelings that she has, these other emotions that are rising within her that she may not have expected? These healings and miracles, I'm sure, carry joy and relief. But I wonder what else was there, uncertainty, loss, grief. I invite us to prepare ourselves for returning to in-person worship in light of these stories and imagining what these people might have been feeling in these stories. I invite us to have grace, patience, openness, and awareness to the many and complex mixed emotions 
that we ourselves and the others around us may experience as we come back into this space. My own tendency, as I've already noted, is to focus on the positive emotions, the joy, the elation, the connection, and maybe to ignore, stay out of touch, not let the negative emotions touch me. How about you? What else are you feeling as you think of coming back? And what might hit you unexpectedly as you come into this space? There's a whole set of examples that come to my mind of things that have shaped us and impacted us and touched our lives in this more than a year of not being gathered physically here in this space. And I think back to the experience that Megan and I had over a number of years uh, as we lived in Connecticut and then Bolivia and had chances to come back into this space and worship together. Consistently, when we would come back into this space after a long time apart, it was the singing of hymns together that would bring us to tears. We felt the joy and connection of being back in this space and in our community to be somewhere that we knew that felt familiar with people who knew us and felt familiar to us. And yet we had changed and things had changed here and people we had known weren't here anymore and new people that we had never met were here that we had the chance to get to know. As we come back into this space, it will be important for us to recognize and process the fact that during this time, some people have left our church community. They will not come back to worship with us in this space even though they were before the pandemic. But also, we know that new people have joined us, have become part of our congregation in the meantime, and have joined our community virtually and will get to come into this space for the first time and worship with us together in person for the first time. There's loss and there is growth. There are people who have died in our community during this time and there are babies who have been born. There are people who won't get to come back because we have lost them. And there are new people in our community who will come here for the first time. I also think of what we have experienced collectively, the disruption of our collective consciousness, these things that are huge that shape the entire world and the way we think about life and everything around us. I remember September 11th. And for me, this shift in how I saw the world, and I think all of us, that the world never looked the same after it. Our sense of security and certainty was upended. I think of the stories that I've heard of what happened after World War II. And prior to that, the buildup of humanism and hope and certainty that the world was getting better, that humanity was on the upward climb, that nothing like World War I would ever happen again and the disruption that that brought, the loss of innocence, naivete, and hopefulness. Well, we've been through a lot of that in this last year. A pandemic, a reminder that technology, science, government can't in the end protect us or save us. There will always be things that will be out of our control and out of control of even the wisest and most knowledgeable and educated among us. The murder of George Floyd, a painful reminder of systemic racism, of hatred, 
that these things have never left us or gone away from our community and our nation. The siege of our capital, a reminder of how deeply division is rooted among us as a nation, how much power, the power of fear and hatred drive so many people, even us at times. These things have upended our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of the world, and we will never be the same. And when we come back into this space, we will have been shaped by these things. The flip side of these is the hope that we have seen and experienced. Even though science can't ultimately save us, we've also seen the amazing production and global community coming together to create vaccines, to distribute those vaccines, to create and come together and solve this problem. We have seen young people and others rise up globally and nationally to support racial justice, to call for equity, and to call out our destruction of the environment and our communities. And we've seen small examples that are huge, like Carmela and her family being able to leave their sanctuary without fear of deportation. On the one hand, people in our community here at East Chestnut and our community more broadly have lost jobs, have hit economic hardship. Many of us have lost loved ones. And during this time, those losses have added onto them the inability to go about our normal rituals of grief. And as I've already mentioned, we've lost our sense of innocence and trust, safety and security. There's healing that we've experienced. For some of us, we've discovered new hobbies, rediscovered old hobbies, increased the time that we've spent with family and those closest to us. We've maybe discovered contemplative spaces where we can connect with God in new ways. Perhaps we've had the chance to reset our rhythms and our priorities in ways that we might be able to hold on to even as we return to normal. And then there's the other stuff, like the fact that when we come back together, we're going to celebrate our new hymnals again in this space, but also feel a loss of the familiar. We'll experience the diversity of these songs that represent our global church, but also deal with having some words that have changed that we've known our whole lives. We'll have the chance to again put on our Sunday best and come into here, but experience the loss of worship in sweatpants. During this time, we've also, hopefully, faced the prejudice in our own hearts. Maybe that's prejudice towards those of other races, those that look different than us, that have different cultures, or maybe it's the people who have different ideologies or politics that our prejudice is pointed towards. We've known disagreement and conflict, perhaps broken relationships. And yet our congregation has come together and decided to take the step to love and welcome all of God's children, just as God loves and welcomes all of God's children. It's all of this and more that we will have in the mix as we come back together into this space. The life of faith is not a steady climb to the mountaintop. But instead, it's a varied terrain that's full of beautiful vistas, as well as valleys and even some dark caverns. 
it's not simply one thing. It is not only joy and celebration. It is also grief and sadness. It is welcoming the new and experiencing healing. It is also letting go and grieving that's, that which is lost. As I was preparing for this sermon, I came back across a work, uh, a book, Lament for a Son, by Nicholas Walterstorff. Nicholas Walterstorff is one of the most significant philosophers of the last century. And he lost an adult son tragically in a mountain climbing accident. And out of that, he essentially wrote a journal that he graciously chose to publish, to share with the rest of us, called Lament for a Son. And it is simply his lament written out in all of its rawness. I would encourage you to read it and to allow it to touch you, to think about how it might share similarities with your own life and story. As I was coming back across that, I was reading the updated forward to this book years after he had written it, as he had gotten feedback and talked to those who had been impacted by it. And in that forward, he says, a friend told me that he had given copies of Lament to all of his children. Why did you do that? I said, because it is a love song, he replied. That took me aback. But yes, it is a love song. Every lament is a love song. As we regather, I want to invite us into the practice of lament. Of lamenting that which is lost, of being open to grieve and name those things and those people that are no longer in our lives in the same way even as we rejoice in the healing that we feel and experience as we regather. Scripture calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And as we regather, I think it's important to recognize that each person's journey is going to be different and our own journeys on any given Sunday may feel quite different. So it will be important for us to have grace and patience, empathy and compassion for ourselves and for each other. Let's take time to lament. For every lament is a love song. Amen.